There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. It's time to breathe easier this allergy season with Breathe Right Nasal Strips. With instant nasal congestion relief for up to 12 hours, you can spend your time on your terms, not on your noses. Stuffy nose from outdoor allergens? No problem. We got you. Allergy season just turned into stripping season. Instant relief from nasal congestion anytime, anywhere. Need more convincing? Click the banner below and get a free sample. Breathe right. Get your strip on. Use as directed. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Kelly Richardson Lawson. I'm a mother, a wife, and an entrepreneur. I started the Sunrise Project after our beautiful teenage son attempted to take his own life. Truth is, I'm tired. My husband and I felt despair, isolation, and immeasurable pain. I knew in my heart we needed a place for Black parents to share their struggles, find mutual support, and help our beloved children who struggle with mental wellness, addiction, or both. Each weekly podcast features an expert who shares their knowledge and takes questions from parents and children. Take me to the king. I don't have much to bring. The Sunrise Project allows Black families, like ours, to find comfort in knowing that we are not alone. While the purpose of the Sunrise Project is to share, support, and uplift, this conversation is not a substitute for medical advice. Finding the right healthcare professional for your family's specific needs is crucial. If you do not feel seen or heard, you should speak to more than one professional to find the right fit. Good morning and welcome to our weekly parent call for the Sunrise Project. Uh, I am delighted you are here with us this morning and as always, Hope that you find some peace and some solace as we share and learn from one another this morning in a space filled with love, compassion, and mutual desire to heal. I am proud and excited to welcome back Dr. Linda McGee this morning with us. Um, she is going to be talking about what our children don't share with us that they share with therapists. And I know I am ready for this conversation. So delighted that you are here. Linda, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Dr. McGee, I'm going to turn it over to you. Thank you again for being here this morning. Good morning, everyone. Today, what I want to do is I want to change things up just a little bit. And I want to say that if you have a comment that comes up while I'm speaking, before the question and answer period, I want you to unmute yourself and ask, because this is a communication about communications. And so I thought it would be better for me to have it be open. So what we're going to talk about today is the things that your children, your teenagers won't say to you, why they won't say it, how that's sometimes okay, 
and how you can stay as an important member of their team in a healthy and appropriate way. What therapists say about treating teenagers behind y'all's backs is that a lot of people don't like treating teenagers and young adults because they say that you have three clients instead of one. So when you treat an adult, you have one adult client. But what they mean is when you treat a teenager or a young adult, you have three clients. You have the teenager and then you have their parents. And so my question is not just what the things that kids don't tell you, is that how you help your teenager or young adult move toward mental health stability and then ultimately independence, but stay within this system of parents and family. Because you're not just treating the teenager or young adult. You're treating a teenager and a young adult within a system, and that system is family. So I'm going to give you an example of what happens when someone presents to my office or they present on a phone call. I, unlike many therapists, I do a thorough screening. So I personally speak to typically a parent before I treat their son or daughter. And I have an extensive conversation with them about what's going on with their child, what's going on with them, and then I talk to them about my practice fees and things like that. The reason why I do that is so that I can sort of get an idea about the dynamic, not just about the child, but the family dynamic. So typically a mother will call me, 80% of the time it's the mother, about 20% of the time it's the father. And the conversation goes like this. I have this basically 16 to 24-year-old who's depressed or anxious. The symptoms are moderate to severe, and they're impacting their lives. You know, so they can't complete school. They're having problems with school. They're having problems with work. They're having problems socially. Um, A lot of times parents report to me that they feel disrespected by their children. And then they often follow up with statements like, I really don't understand how this happened. This this came out of nowhere. And even though sometimes I might ask the parents, like, you know, when they could recall the first signs of problems, it's often not just sudden, but they still say that they came out of nowhere. They don't really understand it. They say that their kids have everything. They're living the life that parents just dreamed of. So why are they depressed or anxious? And it's often said, like, in a sort of um, way that indicates that their parents are chagrined at minimum, disappointed often, and sometimes they're even downright angry that the child is not doing well. Parents often tell me that the expectations are high in their family, but aren't isn't that normal? You know, isn't that isn't that what we should be attain, aspiring for? You know, so I'll ask them again, like, what what do they think the impact of the expectations are on the child? And again, high expectations are normalized, and 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 I say that in a way that means that I, that's not pejorative. It's just that when I talk to the parents, high expectations are the norm. When I ask them about mental health challenges in the family, they often admit that there are some, 
but they never had a conversation with their child about them. It's time to breathe easier this allergy season with Breathe Right Nasal Strips. With instant nasal congestion relief for up to 12 hours, you can spend your time on your terms, not on your noses. Stuffy nose from outdoor allergens? No problem. We got you. Allergy season just turned into stripping season. Instant relief from nasal congestion anytime, anywhere. Need more convincing? Click the banner below and get a free sample. Breathe right. Get your strip on. Use as directed. So flash forward a week or so or two for when the towel comes in. So the teenager or young adult comes in and they say to me this, typically. Again, obviously, I'm making an amalgamation of, of, of several clients and my experience. They say that their parents and siblings are achievers. They don't feel that they're measuring up. They feel like they're the problem, and they've been or they've been identified as the problem in the family. They want to achieve, but they have a hard time meeting expectations of their parents, and they're very uh, they feel like they're disappointing their parents. They say that their anxiety has been there or depression has been there for a while. And they've been trying to tell people, their friends, their parents, their teachers, their counselors for a while, but they don't feel like they've been listened to. Unfortunately, self-medication is a pattern, meaning that many of them have anxiety, depression, or some other mental illness combined with their efforts to self-medicate. So they are smoking weed. They are vaping. They are drinking. They are taking drugs um, that aren't weed. They are abusing stimulants. A whole myriad of abuse of medication or and or alcohol abuse. They're often using invisible methods, other invisible methods, to ease their pain. For example, they're cutting, they're not eating, um, things that in many cultures we're not fully aware of. Because I get a lot of people of color say to me that we don't cut, we don't have anorexia. But the fact of the matter is, is that... Um, a lot of your children are doing these things when they are suffering. A lot of times your children are coming in with a lot of supports in place because they're in better schools um, or they're in, uh, but, they, but they, sometimes they don't, they're not as independent or autonomous as their developmental or chronological age would indicate. And they sometimes are lacking in what they want and self-knowledge. And because they have been on this narrow path towards success, they don't even really have a great awareness of what their strengths are. They just know that, you know, they're on this path. They have to get a good grade in calculus. They have to be on the lacrosse team. They have to do all of these prescribed things. But a lot of times they don't even really understand what they really want and what they're good what they're good at. And a lot of that, of course, is developmentally appropriate. But my premise is is that sometimes because they're on that prescribed path, they haven't been given, uh, they don't have the opportunity to self-explore. 
So the reason why I'm doing this talk today is that I read this article and about the eight things that the children won't tell yourself. So I'm going to go through them quickly, but I want to circle back to the parent, the parents and the child, the interactions and how you can remain a part of the team in an appropriate way. One of the things they don't tell you is they don't think that you recognize mental health problems are real and that they think that you're going to say that they should just suck it up. So they internalize that attitude and they feel ashamed when they don't feel normal. They're so worried about being labeled as crazy and embarrassing the family. They also even might be aware that they're putting financial stressors on the family. Another thing they, they'll tell their mental health therapist or a crisis counselor is that they're, they're cutting themselves. A lot of times the cutting that I am shown in my office is on their stomach and on their inner thighs. They, will, they might even do unorthodox things like burning themselves or banging their head against the wall. Like I've seen that a lot where kids actually hit themselves in the head. And when, you, when the parents notice, they have excuses. Like, I did this. I accidentally tripped um, while trying to do this. But the, it's sort of a dance that they do with you. They want you to know, but they're trying to hide it from you. So it's a push-pull. And that is a sign, obviously, for the parents to look further. As I stated before, they feel this tremendous pressure to perform well not just at school, but in extracurricular activities. They seem, if they seem to you that they lack motivation or that they're quote unquote lazy, they may actually be paralyzed by a fear of failure and dread the look of disappointment on your face. One of the things that I personally experienced as a parent and um, I observed weekly in my practice is that some phases of high school and college really tend to freeze kids and to really make them anxious. And one of them is the college admissions process, where it just seems so overwhelming on top of everything else that they're dealing with that you actually might see your kid withdraw and not want to participate. Another thing that they don't tell you is that they're on these social media platforms that are typically not penetrated by parents. They're well aware of, uh, they are well versed in how to get around your detection and your control. And they, some of these sites like 4chan and even Reddit and Discord, they allow the child to share with other teenagers, but oftentimes they may end up in groups where self-harm or suicidal ideations are shared or, and or exalted. One of the big things that is coming up with me in the last few years in my practice, as I see older and older children, I started my practice seeing uh, younger children, but now I see uh, pretty typically from 14 to 24, 25, 26, is that I'm seeing the advent of more eating disorders in people of color and in boys to the extent that I've had to identify treatment facilities and, and, and treatment plans for boys who have eating disorders. They are experts at disguising their binging and purging. 
because they often feel ashamed but compelled to repeat this process. And this is eating, cutting, they're always to try to gain relief or control over stress. Now, of course, there are ineffective ways of doing that, but nevertheless, they do that. In this age of social media, they often are agonizing. They might have taken pictures of themselves, videos of themselves, and there's often instances of social media or they put out things over social media or text that they've willingly sent out. So this is something that they will not tell their parents. They are ashamed and mortified, and they don't want to tell you. And I've seen this on many instances where a girl has either been convinced, coerced to, or avoid to send out pictures of themselves, and then um, the person that they send it to start to either circulate them or threaten to circulate them. Finally, the thing that they don't talk to you about has to do with this broad category of racial identity, gender identity, and sexuality issues. When race is not discussed in the home, it often leads to sort of a vacuum. And so children feel like, particularly um, those of people of color, they feel like that they can't really complain because they hear and they grow up talking about what their parents went through. But they still have their own process of learning about what it's like to be a person of color in this country at this moment during these movements, and they are struggling with racial identity issues. They're struggling with gender and sexuality issues. And a lot of times they will not talk to them about those issues unless they feel like it's non-judgmental and safe. And as many of you are aware, in many of our cultures and many of our religious practices, gender and sexuality issues are frowned upon, um, if not outright condemned. So as a result, children will not talk to their parents or their elders, um, but when they have a chance to talk about it in therapy, it's a way for them to do so or with a crisis worker. Finally, they don't often talk about their suicidal thoughts. A lot of times they feel like the parents are under pressure. They don't want to be an added burden. They feel like the thoughts make them feel weak and worthless. And they somehow think that in their heads that I'm a burden on my parents and my parents actually might be relieved if I'm not here because of all the trips to the hospital, because of all the trips to the therapist, because they're the only ones that didn't get admitted to Stanford. Um, all the things that, that children internalize about how they feel worthless and pessimistic leads them to feel suicidal and to somehow internalize that people will be relieved if they're gone, including their parents. And therefore, they won't tell you that they're having suicidal thoughts. Anybody have anything that they want to add before I conclude my comment? I do. If I didn't know better, I would say that you just described my um, son and my family perfectly. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. You've changed our family's life. 
I felt sorry for you when you said that when you treat children and teens and young adults, you have three clients, because you definitely did. <laughs> um, you have, so um, I should have um, been charged uh, times three. So thank you for charging us only times one. I really do um, want to thank you. That's my only, I didn't have a question. I have a comment. Thank you okay. so much. So why don't your kids talk to you? This didn't come out of this article. This came from hard thought experience. I think I've been doing this now for about 15 years. There are a variety of reasons. And what I'm going to do is talk about some that have come up in my practice. Some of your children are not talkers. They're introspective, they're private, and they're the kind of kids that you can actually see them thinking. You know, they're going to think three times before they talk. Another reason why they they don't talk is that they're so ashamed of what they've done or what has taken place. They really fear disappointing their parents. They don't want to come home and say, Mom, I failed that test because I'm depressed. They get cues from their parents. And when I say cues, I mean you don't ever discuss mental health. Mental health is a sort of a vacuum. It's not, it's not discussed. So even when you never talk about mental health and you're not saying anything negative, the child picks up that it's a taboo topic. The child picks up that it's not a welcome topic. Silence often is internalized as you don't want to talk about it because it's not it's an acceptable subject. Sometimes parents have negative attitudes toward mental health, and it's often based upon religious reasons, cultural, or family. Sometimes your child will feel like, well, my parent is already going through something. They're already traumatized, or the parent is mentally ill. So the child does not feel like the teenager or young adult does not feel like they want to add to the problem. And finally, the reason that I see is that parents are already dealing with a lot of other things. Like many of us have elderly parents. Many of us have had to deal with COVID, not just from the impact of on African Americans, you know, which we've already lost about um, 33, 35,000 African Americans um, due to COVID, but we're also dealing with money implications, employment implications, stress on the family, stress on marriages. So your child sees all of that and they do not want to add to the problems. So the question then becomes, how the heck do you handle all of this? How do you stay on your child's team in an appropriate way? Meaning that you are aware of the things that you need to be aware of, but you're also a part of a team that is pushing the child toward being able to handle their own mental health issues and being able to talk about them. It's time to breathe easier this allergy season with Breathe Right Nasal Strips. With instant nasal congestion relief for up to 12 hours, you can spend your time on your terms, not on your noses. Stuffy nose from outdoor allergens? No problem. We got you. Allergy season just turned into stripping season. Instant relief from nasal congestion anytime, anywhere. Need more convincing? Click the banner below and get a free sample. Breathe right. Get your strip on. Use as directed. 
For that, we need access to a variety of helpers, and many of you already call upon your teachers, your school counselors, therapists, coaches, anyone that can help you to raise a stable child. But as parents, we want to be in the equation as much as possible. We want to be in the loop. Many of the decisions are going to fall upon us. The child is going to be ultimately our responsibility. And so we want to be able to help. So for that, though, we have to, like, really look hard at our family structure to figure out what we can do. So it's good to have third-party professionals involved. Why? Well, well, often therapists bring mental health knowledge that is desperately needed in the situation. You know, you're already called upon to play so many roles, parents, but sometimes you need that mental health professional, that person that has been trained in trauma, that person that knows about um, being a black teenager or how to transition if you're having gender issues. A third third party helps you to transition your child to independence. So you take your child up to a certain point and you helping to push them towards stability and independence, but oftentimes they're, they're ready to have other people help in that process. And so what the uh, third parties do is they help transition your child toward independence along with you. Oftentimes therapists and crisis counselors, they don't have the relational patterns that children have with their parents. So for example, because of things that you're going through, you might be short-tempered or you might have a hard time hearing um, about your child's pain. And so you might act in a way that your child feels like is not receptive and they might clamp up a little bit. And so it's harder for you because of what you're dealing with to be able to have a pattern where your child feels comfortable. So the third party can help you both get around that pattern to help you be a better participant, and they can assist the child. Finally, again, third parties do a lot of work with parents. Even if it's, they're not, they don't have you in the office, we're talking to you on the phone, we're keeping you updated, we're taking your calls when you're distressed. So how do you get to be a part of a team that you're a fully a part of the team and you're aware of what's going on with your child and you're able to help. One of the things that I want to say, and I'm, I'm going to stay here for a second, is don't trade the possibility of influence for the illusion of control. Again, don't trade the possibility of influence for the illusion of control. You want to be influential. But if you're always trying to control each and every part of your child's life, that often makes your child go underground. Um, you stifle the, the teenagers or young adults move towards independence. You set up them pushing back. Even if it's something that will help the teenager or young adult, sometimes they'll just push back as automatically as a part of their relationship pattern with you. You say zig, they do zag, even if zag is not in their best interest um, because they are reacting in response to your need to control each and every aspect 
of or, or a lot of the aspects of their lives. So while the teenagers do need limits, when we can try to control too much, when we're in the perpetual lecture mode, they sometimes go underground. And what they in they'll like not just not tell you, but the, sometimes they'll tell their therapist, and that sets up a dilemma between the parent and the therapist. So they'll tell the therapist, but they won't tell the parent, and oftentimes that creates conflict between the parent and the therapist. If we figure out ways to listen, qualm the need to dictate terms, then we have a fighting chance of being what I call a first responder or the child's go-to person. So, you know, there will be lots of people that give you all these communication tips and things that you should say, but I never have thought that it's been that easy. It's, it's not because I don't know the dynamics. So if I tell you what to say, I don't know the time, the situation, what just happened. So what I try to do is talk to parents about communications um, generally. So what you want to do with a teenager or young adult who's not so predisposed to tell you is to understand that the foundations for when there's trouble are laid well before the trouble. So what you want to do open is to have an open communication process with your child from when they're very little. It's not like a movie of the week where it's a one-time dramatic discussion and the child just opens up. Open communications is a process. And so the goal of every conversation is to have the next conversation. So I, I really have been thinking and praying a lot about this subject when I'm dealing with parents is to under, help them to understand, and even myself, because what I was really grateful for when I was raising my son is that the day that I did get the call that there was a problem, he called me. Um, and he called me at a crucial time. And I was just so grateful that he did. But I realized that if I had set up a situation where he didn't feel comfortable, I would have never gotten that call. And I have made many mistakes. So don't, I'm not setting myself up to be above anyone, but I want you to know that open communications is a process, uh, particularly with kids who do not talk to you. You have to make sure that the door is open. And the times that I have closed the door, it always is a negative result. And I, and I, I have been as guilty of that as any of you. So the point of the conversation is sometimes just to listen, even if nothing else happens. I just watched a film this morning while I was preparing for this where the mother said her daughter just started talking one day, and she just listened for two hours. She didn't say a word. The next conversation was when they started to have a dialogue. But she just, the, she just wanted to listen. When you're listening, put everything else away. Put the phone away. When you pull up to the school, if you have a teenager and you're picking them up, try not to be on the phone. That was a rule at the at school that I worked at so that you could hear what they have to say when they come out of the high school practice or the meeting with their AP teacher. Let them know that you understand what they just said to you. Even if you don't agree with it, even if it's something that you are literally cringing on the inside that they just told you about, and that has happened to me many times as a parent, let them know that you understood what they just said. 
And how do you do that? Try to rephrase it. So are you saying that you feel undervalued when your boyfriend says this, this, and this? You know, rephrase it. Commiserate. Be empathetic to what they're saying and say, you know, that sounds really rough. Also, try to be available. If if your um, son or daughter peeks their head in your home office a couple of times, try to get a break and go to them then. Because two hours from now or three hours from now or the next day, they may not feel so comfortable telling you that because they feel like um, they may not be a priority. And all of these things are really difficult for all of us who are, like, working at home, trying to manage companies, trying to manage jobs. So it's understandable if you're not perfect, but to just understand that when you do take that break, the child feels like that their problem is a priority. And how do you create those opportunities is, like, you take the little opportunities and you create big ones. So the big conversation, again, typically comes about because you took advantage of little opportunities. You listened when they were talking about the little things and when they were talking about their friends and even if there's nothing negative going on. But by listening and actively listening to what they're saying in the little opportunities, you make them feel comfortable telling you about the big ones. We all try to solve all our kids' problems, but you don't have to try to solve it. Just listen. The solution sometimes will be better off in other conversations. Make sure that they don't fear you so much that they don't tell you. So a lot of times I counsel parents to have a no punishment zone when the kids are in high school and college or they if they tell you that your immediate response is not to punish them but to go and help them. So finally, the last thing I want to talk about is really quickly is this is your opportunity when your child is struggling to do your own work as a parent. And that includes like understanding who you are, accepting who you are, the impact of how you were raised. So let's say that you were raised in a home where children were seen and not heard. The father was the be-all and end-all in the home and, you know, where punishment was severe. On the other hand, you have your spouse who was raised in a pretty liberal home where children could say anything they wanted. So you, you have to realize the impact of how you were raised, the impact of how the other parent was raised, and how they intersect to impact your parenting. Understand what your adverse childhood experiences were and are and how they impact you. So I've done talks many, many times on what is called ACEs, and I I hope you all look them up, but ACEs are adverse childhood experiences, and they have to do with did you lose a parent young, was was one of your parents, um, you know, ill? Did you move a lot? All of those things are adverse childhood experiences, and and understand what yours are. How did that child in your dreams develop? Right, you have this thought of your child that you you have all these dreams for your child. 
And if you think about how those dreams develop, it will help you to not stay so stuck on them so as not to recognize the child in front of you. So we all have that child in our dreams. Y'all heard me say that before. That's perfectly normal. But understand, how did that dream of your child develop? Finally, I want to just say briefly, what are your fears? You know, what, what prompted your response? If you're, like, in the college process and you are really guarding against your child being a dropout and being on the street and being a welfare recipient or all of these things that are on your mind, understand that that mayor, that is not your child's reality likely. They're likely going to go to college. But understand, like, what drove you to the fears of where the fears that you have for your child. That leads me to a couple of other points. One, racial trauma is real. We are going through it now as people of color in this country. And to not acknowledge that as a part of parenting would be remiss of me. Their experience, however, is nothing like ours. It may not even be on the same planet. I, I did a talk a few weeks ago where I said it's Obama versus Julia. I don't know if many of you guys remember the show with Diane Carroll where all the black, you know, where she was the first person to star in a TV series, right? And so that was the biggest thing in America for there be a black person on TV. And you match that against your child experience where there was a black president of the United States. So uh, their experience is nothing like ours and our, you know, so it may not be comparable when you're trying to advise them based on what you have gone through. So I always I also say that it's like the 70s in Pittsburgh versus 2020 Bethesda, 2020 Chicago, 2020 Los Angeles. Finally, the ways that we were parented mainly incorporated for mo many of us the, the, the idea that, you know, the parents were the dishers of the beatdown. And the last thing I want to say to y'all is, and, and hopefully to make you laugh, is that the beatdown is not working with these kids that we're raising. It's just not. It's ineffective. Um, they're going underground. They're not telling us. It's leading to them being anxious and depressed. And all of us, and, and that includes myself, have got to understand that. And I'm saying that with a little bit of a smile on my face because it's very hard for us to come to that conclusion. Each child is different. And the way, even if you have more than one, the way that you raise one is not really going to, might not necessarily work with the other. So please also bear that in mind. I hope that you all got something out of this. I would be more than happy to answer any of your questions. And please feel free to ask me questions about information that I have in therapy that you have questions about. This was super helpful, Linda. Thank you for sharing. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for being on today. Um, and thank you, Kelly, for arranging all these. It's been really empowering for a parent to, to hear what our kids are going through and to help them. Um, my son is 16, and he is seeing a therapist. And his dad wasn't really excited about it, but um, virtually it's helped. The virtual sessions have helped for both of them. 
Uh, My question to you is I can relate to uh, the kid that's feeling um, that his parents or people around him are overachievers. My son is dealing with some anxiety. Uh, He feels like he's not, you know, measuring up. Um, Where I have asked him, I was like, you know, I haven't said, oh, you got to go to this college. You have to get these grades. And he said, well, you and dad do. You know, his dad is a judge and I'm a CPA. And he's put these standards on himself. Or maybe internalize other things. I'm not saying it was just him. So how do I manage that? I mean, I'm trying to make sure I applaud the little things as well as the big things. So it's not like, oh, only if you get A's am I excited. But, you know, if he did well in something he was nervous about and things like that. But I don't know that it's um, penetrating as much. So this this is what I get all the time. Apparently, I'm not saying anything. And I believe you. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of times it's just in it's in their DNA from right. you when they're in school the all they hear about is going to a good college. For those of you mm-hmm. you that have kids in decent schools, that's all they hear about from when they're young. I had a kid the other day yeah. say, "Well, if I don't get these grades in middle school, then I'm, I'm I fear that my classmate is going to get that you know slot at Princeton, and huh. she's in the seventh grade." Uh-huh. Right. So even if you say nothing, they absorb all of this from their environment. And, you know, sure. the whole society and the media, when, you know, you look at an ad and they say, well, I was educated at Ivy League schools and all of this. And it's exalted as a part of our culture in this country. But keep doing what you're doing, mom. Emphasize okay. effort. Right. As opposed to results, <clears throat> because that also helps. Like you really worked really hard on that. So that they uh-huh. understand, like, the value of hard work, not so much the result, which is sometimes outside of your control. But just keep doing what you're doing, emphasizing, de-emphasizing achievement, praising that B that he worked so hard to get and rewarding that. Just keep what you're doing, what you're doing, and the the lessons will start to sink in, and you will see results later. But you okay. you have to know that you're combating something, a real strong force out there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. And thank you, um, Dr. Linda. This has been invaluable. Thank you again for being here uh, with us today. Linda, your advice has been incredible. Um, people are texting saying how right on time it was, and for me as well. So thank you. Um, I'm going to go ahead and close this out with a prayer. Father, thank you for loving us and loving our families and our children in these very difficult times. As we work with our children, help us reframe our thinking, be flexible with them, and learn to listen to them. Help us learn to communicate differently so we can be, as Dr. Linda says, the first responder and our children's go-to person when they want to talk. Father, many of us have insecurities and concerns about what's happening in our children's lives, yet we can rejoice because we know that you hold them in your hands. We know that you have a plan for them. Father, we pray specifically for our children's physical health, mental health, safety, and dependence on you. Bless us with a release grip on control and send your spirit to strengthen us and surrender worry. We pray in the name of Jesus, your perfect son who died for your will to be done, for faith over fear, as you take care of all of us and our children. In Jesus' name today and always, amen. Thank you again for being here. 
Have a beautiful day. I'm Kelly Richardson Lawson, and you've been listening to the Sunrise Project podcast. You can follow Sunrise wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, open your podcast app and follow this show. Join us next week for another gathering of support. Thank you for listening. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental wellness challenges, contact your doctor, NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or both. You can reach NAMI's helpline at 800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or email at info at NAMI.org. Volunteers are working to answer questions, offer support, and provide practical next steps. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. It's time to breathe easier this allergy season with Breathe Right Nasal Strips. With instant nasal congestion relief for up to 12 hours, you can spend your time on your terms, not on your noses. Stuffy nose from outdoor allergens? No problem. We got you. Allergy season just turned into stripping season. Instant relief from nasal congestion anytime, anywhere. Need more convincing? Click the banner below and get a free sample. Breathe Right. Get your strip on. Use as directed.